This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. I can't believe I'm saying this. This episode is brought to you by Lola V, an award-winning hair care line by the one and only Jennifer Aniston. Why did Jennifer Aniston start a hair care company? Because she was tired of choosing between hair products that work and hair products that are actually good for us. But thanks to Lola V, we never have to choose again. No silicones, no sulfates, parabens, or gluten. And of course, it's cruelty-free and vegan. The glossing detangler and perfect conditioner are my personal favorites. Not only do they repair the look of damaged hair, but they also shield it from future harm. The first step to unlocking confidence in your dating life and your daily life is feeling confident about your hair. So unlock Jennifer Aniston approved hair at lolav.com. And as listeners of Seeing Other People, you're getting an exclusive 15% off off of your entire order when you use code Seeing Other People at checkout. That's 15% off your entire order at lolavie.com with promo code Seeing Other People. Please note you can only use one promo code per order and discounts can't be combined. After your purchase, they will ask you where you heard about them. Please, please, please support Seeing Other People and let them know that I sent you. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hey guys, it's Alana and welcome back to another episode of Seeing Other People. Together, we're navigating modern dating alongside experts and real-life daters who are sharing their stories. Don't have a date for tonight? No problem. Come learn, laugh, and maybe even cry along with us as we navigate the dating scene together. Oh my God, you guys, I am so excited for today's recording, this episode. We have Laura Belgray. Laura, welcome to Seeing Other People. Thank you so much. I'm so thrilled to be here. I'm so excited. First of all, congratulations on your book, Tough Titties on Living Your Best Life When You're the Effing Worst. Question, is it effing or fucking? It's effing. I I mean, it's spelled effing and I prefer to say effing. I don't know why, because I love to drop a good F-bomb, but um, somehow it feels jarring to say when you're the fucking worst. And you know what? I hesitated about the title a little bit because I... You know, people are like, but you're not the worst. I'm like, it's not being about a ter- it's not about being a terrible person. It's more about saying, like, oh, I'm so sorry, I'm the worst. It's not about being the absolute yeah. worst. It's being low-key kind of the worst. So effing feels more appropriate. I support that and respect it. And <laughs> I think it is a great title. And I just wanna kind of set the stage here with I have become obsessed with you. Um, in the least (laughs) creepy way possible, which is part of the reason why I'm so excited for this episode, because I know every single person listening is also going to become obsessed with you once they get to know you. And I, in part of my journey to becoming obsessed with you, I've been listening to a ton (laughs) of podcasts that you've been on. And one thing that you said, like really like hit home for me. And you said like, since putting the book out now, you're doing like you're pitching yourself to all of these people where before maybe you were kind of just in your own network of people who already knew Laura Belgray. And now you're getting your name out to other people. And in that you do have the opportunity to get rejected. And that's something that we're all afraid of all the time. But I just want to like really applaud you because I am in the camp of, I did not know who you were until I got an email and opened it. And now that I do know who you are. I'm so glad that I do. And I'm just so happy to get the chance to talk to you and have this conversation. So proud of you for putting yourself out there. It does pay off and just uh, a tale for everyone to go home with in the first two minutes. 
<laughs> it does. And thank you so much for not rejecting me as a person. Of course. I, I accept you for who you were back in sixth grade and for who you are now. <laughs> you are my people. Thank you. Yes. So I want to start and just ask, I know for you, writing a book was on your wish list for a long time, but I'm curious why this book? Why was this the book that ended up coming out of you when you finally put your mind to it and sat down to write a book? Really, the book I always wanted to write was a book of my stories, like a book of stories about my life. And there are stories in this book that were originally maybe going to be my book, like the whole book, like uh, the the chapter, he's never going to leave her, which is appropriate to mention in, in this uh, podcast. Um, but once I sat down to write the book, really, like by that point, I had so many other stories and that wasn't the focus of my life anymore. It was just a chapter. And so um, the question really is like, why did it come to this uh really this positioning, this title, this subtitle, and it's a theme that I was able to pull out of all my stories that no matter what, these most of these are the stories I was going to tell, and this was going to be the arc of it, like starting in sixth grade with my sixth grade bully and being kicked out of my friend group and uh, being rejected by everyone and the, the kind of lasting trauma that that caused um, all through high school and chasing, you know, find, feeling that boys didn't like me and always chasing that um, approval from the opposite sex and into looking for what I wanted to do with my life and that thing that would tap my talent and make me feel self-fulfilled and just trying to be an actualized, like a self-actualized human. That was always kind of in the end going to be the arc of it. And the theme I pulled out of it was just not being a supposed to person, just never being able to comply with the rules. And, uh, and that's where tough titties came from the expression, tough titties, meaning that's my reaction to anything that I'm supposed to do, anything someone expects of me, like, well, you know, everyone thinks you should be having kids right now. Yeah. Tough titties. Mm -hmm. So that, that is why this is the book that came out of me at this age. I love that. And every single thing that you just said, I wanted to be like, yep, like that is relatable. Went through that. I know someone who went through that. Like every single thing is something that I feel like we've all experienced, but we've all felt so alone in our experience of it and embarrassed. And like, there's something wrong with us or we're falling behind or we're not doing what other people expect of us. And that's why I love at like the book and just everything that you kind of have put out there. I love it so much because it helps connect us all to talk about these things and to say like, it's not embarrassing to feel like your worth is connected to other people liking you. Like, is that the way it should be? No, but do so many of us share that feeling? Unfortunately, yes, but yeah. we can all be better off if we talk about it. Right. Exactly. Let's admit it. It's so funny. Right now, I'm I'm a little bit obsessed with this trend, you know, this meme of like my toxic trait is. Yes. <laughs> and nobody is admitting their real toxic traits. Everyone's like, my toxic trait is that I care too much about empowering other women. Or my toxic trait is I tell it like it is. And I'm like, shut up. Those aren't toxic traits. Those are just humble brags. Those are, those are along the lines of saying in a job interview, well, my 
greatest weakness is that I'm a perfectionist and I care yes. too much about doing a good job. I'm, yeah, like, I'm a people pleaser. Some... So I'll stay yes. at work all night just to get I... everyone else's job done. Like... <laughs> exactly. And yeah. so I'm like, let's see some real toxic traits. Let's have, like, let's admit to our real our real flaws and weaknesses and actually and actual toxic traits like i undermine friends that i'm jealous of <laughs> like things like that or i seek my self-worth in the approval of of men or the opposite sex or anyone in anyone finding me sexually attractive that's a yes. somewhat toxic trait like let's admit those I, that's so funny. Yeah. I've been thinking that too, where it's, it'll be like my beige flag is this, my partner's beige <laughs> flag is that. And it's like, okay, like <laughs> always being down for whatever is not a beige flag. No, like, first of all, no, not you're flag. Not. yeah, no. you're not, you're not always down for whatever, but yeah, mm -hmm. no, exactly. And, and I think there's so much power in admitting like we're not perfect and we all do have flaws, but yeah. we don't feel like we have the permission to share those and to embrace those or even accept those. And that's one thing I love about your book is that I feel like throughout it, you give people so much permission. So I want to start there and kind of hear from you, like, what are the biggest permissions that you think people need or want to feel like is being given to them, but that they don't have? I think for one, being honest about who they are and expressing the things about themselves that are maybe that they find a little shameful or they think people would judge because that gives other people a sigh of relief. Like, Oh, thank God I'm not alone. It's not just me. And saying like, you know, I care too much about serving people and changing the world. That's not just shut up. Um, that's not giving anyone permission to be who they are. So permission to be who we are, permission to do things on our own timeline and, uh, I'd like to say ignore everyone else's timeline. That's really hard to do, but at least um, permission to accept that we feel behind and that we do compare ourselves and that it's maybe a struggle, a challenge to let go of everybody else's timeline and how fast they're doing everything. But uh, yeah, permission to do things your own way at your own pace and just come back to that idea um, that it doesn't matter the speed everyone else is going at. And there's really no clock for most of it, except these days, it is still having babies. Um, and also permission to be okay with being disliked it, because not everyone's going to like you. Again, that can be hard for some of it. It's hard for me. I'm not great with it, but just uh, if I hear somebody else talk about being disliked or someone insulting them and how they dealt with it, it feels like such a relief to me. I'm like, okay, it's not so bad if someone said this about me or thinks that about me. So those are a couple of things. There's so much I want to dive into there. Let's start and go back kind of to the timeline thing, because obviously that's something that people face so much in dating. You know, a lot of my listeners are in their mid-20s, late-20s, early-30s and seeing all of their friends and their siblings mm -hmm. and kind of everyone around them, especially on social media, getting into relationships, getting engaged, getting married, having babies. And that is really, really hard if that's what you want, but you don't have that yet. And you're sitting there thinking like, well, I'm still single. I'm now falling behind. What's wrong with me? So yes, I love what you said about like, it's almost like the first step is admitting like, okay, I'm on my own timeline, but how can you really 
accept that and not let other people's timelines or what society expects of you really get the best of you. You guys know that I struggle with confidence. I'm always my biggest critic, and when I notice something about myself that I don't like, I can't stop fixating on it. I'm working on all of this, but it can be hard. A year ago, I noticed that my hair was thinning, and I was finding more and more strands of hair on the floor every time I would walk around my apartment. When I would look down in the shower, I would freak out at what I saw in the drain. That's when I opened up to my best friend, who happens to be a doctor, and she said two things that changed my life. The first was that she knows so many women our age going through the same thing. The second is that she told me to try Nutrafol. And so I did. Nutrafol is the number one dermatologist recommended hair growth supplement with over 1 million people seeing thicker, stronger, faster growing hair with less shedding. A year later and a month before my wedding, and I cannot believe the number of people who have been complimenting how long, strong, and healthy my hair looks. I never imagined that this would happen. And naturally, as a result, my confidence has transformed. I'm no longer self-conscious when it comes to my hair. And honestly, that is a huge, huge, huge personal win for me. And you guys know I'm hilariously bad at sticking with habits and taking something every day or doing something every day. But with Nutrafol, building a hair growth routine is simple. Purchase online with no prescription required. Free shipping and automated deliveries ensure that you'll never miss a day. You'll see results in three to six months. And trust me, it is worth the wait. You can start so easily by taking their hair wellness quiz on Nutrafol.com for a personalized hair health plan based on your specific root causes. Take the first step to visibly thicker, healthier hair. For a limited time, Nutrafol is offering the Seeing Other People family 10 off your first month subscription and free shipping when you go to Nutrafol.com and enter the promo code seeing other people. Find out why over 4,500 healthcare professionals and hairstylists recommend Nutrafol for healthier hair. Nutrafol.com spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com promo code seeing other people. That's Nutrafol.com promo code seeing other people. Raise your hand if you have dating anxiety. All right. All right. I know that everyone has their hands up and I get it. I had debilitating anxiety when I was single. And even when I first started dating Jake, I kept waiting for the other shoe to drop. And I know that is not a good way to feel and that is not a fun way to date. And I get it. It can be hard to find an anxiety relief tactic that works for you. That's why I'm so excited to introduce you to a new one that has helped me dramatically with my wedding and work stress and anxiety over the last few months. And trust me, there's been a lot of it. Sunset Lake CBD is an amazing company that not only has helped me feel so much better, but they also have a really cool history and mission. Sunset Lake CBD is a majority employee-owned hemp farm located right outside of Burlington, Vermont. As farmers, they believe in providing only top-shelf CBD and hemp products at fair prices. So they cut out the middlemen and they ship their CBD straight from their farm to your door, which means that their CBD is affordable and trusted because CBD and anxiety relief can help everyone and they want it to be accessible to anyone. Trust me when I say that when I'm stressed or anxious, my sleep is the first thing to go. But despite everything I have going on right now, I've been taking a sleep gummy before bed and my sleep scores on my aura ring have been through the roof. Plus, I'm finding myself relaxing more at night and being able to turn off my work brain and my anxiety with the help of their CBD gummy bears and reishi-infused chews. Whether you want to sleep better, relax better, focus better, recover better, or anything in between, Sunset Lake CBD has something for everyone. So check them out today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use code SOP for 20% off your order. That's code SOP for 20% off, farmer-owned, Vermont-grown Sunset Lake CBD. I think you you have to remember that, first of all, it, it is a societal thing that keeps shifting. I mean, when I was, when I, like my my mom had me at 32 and got married at 30. 
And at that time, so I was born in 69, a while ago. And at that time, um, she was an old maid, like getting married at age 30 in 1967. She was considered an old maid and everyone had lost hope. They had given up hope that she would uh, be okay in life. Um, And so just thinking about that and how things have changed, it gives a good shift in perspective. Like, okay, so this is totally, the timeline right now is pretty arbitrary too. And um, most of it is, especially in terms of um, getting engaged or finding the one, getting engaged, getting married, most of that is based on biology and the idea that you must have kids and everyone wants to have kids. And of course, that sh- science has shifted that as well. And so that is happening later and later. And for those of us out there who maybe don't want kids, we've got all the time in the world to find somebody. And those of us who would be okay having kids who do want them, but might be okay having them on our own or in some other way, also all the time in the world, not all the time in the world, you, you want a certain amount of energy <laughs> if you're going to have, if you're going to have babies, I sure wouldn't want to have them at my age. But um, yeah, just thinking about how arbitrary those timelines are is pretty healthy and can help shift your perspective. And it is, it is hard when you know what you want and it's what everyone else is getting around you. Uh, it's hard to be happy for them. It is, I remember when I finally met the person I wanted to be with, which was in my early 30s, um, who's now my husband, Stephen. And our our relationship was fantastic at in the very beginning and then got a bit rocky. And I remember wanting so badly for him to come around and and want to settle down with me and, and propose of his own accord. And I had other friends whose boyfriends that they had just started seeing were proposing and they were getting engaged. And it was so hard for me to be truly happy for them. I just remember like, I'm so happy for you and having that right echo in my head. Like, did I just say that in a really weird way? Because it sounded, it felt <laughs> really weird. Dry? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So it is tough when you want it and everyone around you is getting it. So just remembering that, like, I can't say it'll happen for you. I don't know that. I have friends who've been single a long time and would still like to find that person. And it's, it hasn't happened yet. Um, and I hope that it will happen for them. I can't make that promise, but I think you're, but you don't have to be on that timeline that everyone seems to be on. Yeah. I love how you're able to admit that like you weren't always actually necessarily happy for other people. And, And I even just like kind of danced around saying it because it's something that we don't hear often. And again, it's something that we've all felt like we all have pretended to be happy for someone when we're jealous or when we're frustrated that it's happening to them and not us. And that is literally so normal. And it's something that we all would be so much better off from admitting. Like, and I, I almost think if it became a more normal thing to talk about, like people would be understanding because if the roles were reversed, they also probably would not be that happy for somebody else getting all the things that they themselves want. Yeah. Some, I think there are some people out there who are just a 
more generous of spirit than I am and physically can feel happy for someone else. But I have, I struggle with it when I don't have what I want. Yeah. In terms of you never had kids and you knew, I think early on that you didn't want them. How was that to navigate in maybe your twenties and and thirties, even up until when you met Stephen? Because that's another thing where society puts that pressure on people and that's hard for people to navigate and for other people to accept about the people they love in some cases. Yeah. Um, I didn't really know for certain okay. until I was 30, after I was married, I'd say 39, uh, okay. rounding 40. Um, but I never actually wanted them. I was just waiting to want them. And it was tough to come around to that hard no when people said, are you having kids or do you want kids? No. Uh, It was really hard to come around to that because I felt so much pressure to want them and saw so little evidence around me that to support the idea that I might be happy later in life if I chose not to have kids as a woman, like fulfilled and happy and Um, not pathetic and lonely and considered, you know, barren um, or sad. And so, you know, I Googled a lot. I would Google older celebrity women without kids and I would come up empty. The only people who'd come up were Oprah, but there was always a but. Like Oprah has it all. She's got a multi-million dollar empire, a billion dollar empire, um, and she's got a great career and all these fans, but she doesn't have kids. Uh, but for one thing, and then there was Dame Helen Mirren, one person and, who actually was quoted in the media. Say, someone asked why, why she was so happy, and she said, because I don't have kids. And I was like, oh, good, I will cling to that. But there was no evidence and all, the media was baby crazy. They were not, like insistent that Jennifer Aniston must have kids or she'd never be happy. So every other week it was like heartbreak for Jenny. Um, and like, once again, not having kids, still doesn't have kids. <laughs> still not having kids. Still not having kids. Fast forward, <laughs> still no kids. <laughs> exactly. And there were no stories like, you know, guess which celebrity couple isn't having kids and they're over the moon. No one was over the moon to not have kids. So it was hard to come around to that and um, face down the pressure from everyone who was telling me that I should have them, that I would regret. I would regret it if I didn't have them. And um, really having a, a one conversation with my husband, finally, where we were just sitting down one night and we had had it before, but it never felt so certain as it did then when I said, I said to him when I, after we were married, like, would you definitely, truly, absolutely be okay if we decide not to have kids? And he just said, yeah. And his confidence in that made me feel so like, oh, okay, I don't want them. I don't want them either. Um, but it put a lot of pressure on me to, you know, f- when, when I was in that window of now is the time when I should be like trying to conceive if I want kids and I'm not, and we're still not married. It put a lot of pressure on me to make sure he was the one and, and make it set so that we could make that decision together. And in my twenties, when I wasn't ready to have them and in my early 
earliest 30s when I wasn't ready to have them, I think that's part of the reason why I chose relationships that would tank all possibilities of having a family. That is a very good insight. (laughs) (laughs) We do do that to ourselves. Yeah. Um, I think it's hilarious that you said that you were Googling like celebrities without kids. (laughs) I've heard this now so many times from guests. I had a guest come on earlier this year who said that she remembers like being in high school Googling like, how do I know if I'm bisexual? And Mm -hmm. like fast forward, like 15 years later, she's like, oh yeah, I'm bisexual. Like I should have known right then and there when I was Googling, how do I know? So pay attention to the things you guys are Googling. It might tell you something you need to hear. That's a sign. Yep. I want to go back to something we touched on earlier, which is this idea of like validation from other people liking us. And in your Mm. book, there's a line that you said, a boy liking you wasn't just someone to go to the movies with. It was a green light to like yourself. This is like, I read that and I was like, oh my God, first of all, yes, I've felt that way my entire life. Second of all, like, how do we get rid of this mindset? (laughs) Because it's a problem. (laughs) Yeah, it is. Um, You know, I I wouldn't say that it's ever completely left me on a cellular level. Like I, you know, I went to an all girls high school where boys were this thing to be treasured, coveted, like the girls who had boys waiting for them in the lobby from our brother's school were so lucky. And anyone who boys liked in my mind was so lucky and it was felt so out of reach to me. I just didn't have that thing. You know, I didn't have that com- that sexy confidence that I'd read about in Seventeen magazine, um, or that ability. But did anyone? To- yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that that ability to drive him wild and talk about his interests, and you know, just touch him lightly on the arm and giggle. And I didn't have those things. I didn't have a natural. And, and it was true, boys. You know, you might think I'm being hard on myself, or I was, and, but it was true. Boys just didn't like me in the time when boys were starting to like girls my age. So it's always been in me. And sometimes I find myself like um, going through my emails and uh, a bunch of people will ask me for favors or whatever, or um, ask me questions that normally I'd be like, you know, please email customer service for this. And then something's from a guy and I'll find myself taking the time to answer or like write out a really thoughtful, long answer and help extra. And I'm like, what am I doing? What is wrong with me? It's still there. It's still in me. Um, But we just, so in theory, I like, I'd like to say it's just not true. It's no, it's not what it is not where our self-worth is. Our self-worth is in like, I like being for me, it, the true self-worth is when I feel like I'm really being myself. And that's when I feel good about myself, when I'm really being true to myself and acting um, the way I want, acting in alignment with like who I am and what I really think and not saying things I don't mean and all that. That's where self-worth is for me and excelling in what I'm good at and what I care about. Um, but if you, if you still have those inclinations, like don't feel terrible about yourself. So, I mean, it's really drilled into us at an early age. Brave the uncomfortable. 
Those are the words engraved on my bracelet that have gotten me through some of the most anxiety-inducing moments over the last few years. And that's why I could not be more excited to encourage you all to get a Presently bracelet of your own with a phrase that resonates with you. Presently is a line of mindfulness bracelets engraved with words inspired by cognitive behavioral therapy. The brand was started by two sisters, Lindsay and Emily, who have obsessive-compulsive disorder, aka OCD, and anxiety. They realized that when stuck in an anxiety spiral, it's hard to put into practice the tools that they learned in therapy sessions. They looked and looked for bracelets that could serve as reminders to interrupt that spiral, but they couldn't find anything besides the cheesy good vibes only and no bad days types of messaging. They started presently to bring more authenticity to self-help anxiety management. And as someone who has had a presently bracelet for three years, I mean it when I say it really makes a difference. So whether you need encouragement to make it onto that date that you've been anxious about, a calming mantra to get you through a big day at work, or simply a reminder that you're not alone, presently has your back. Their bracelets are so beautiful and elevated, and they also make amazing gifts. And I know because I have gifted a few over the years, and my friends were so excited to get one and have worn them ever since. There are six phrases to choose from, and if you're indecisive, there's a quiz that you can take to help you choose the perfect reminder for your anxiety. Plus, 5% of each bracelet is donated to your choice of four mental health nonprofits. I wholeheartedly love and support Presently, and I know that your Presently bracelet will bring you as much comfort as mine has brought me. So head to presentlybracelets.com. That's P-R-E-S-E-N-T-L-Y bracelets.com for 10% off your order using code seeing other people. Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with samples. When I first started seeing other people, some of my closest friends and family could not believe it. Not because they didn't think I was capable of being a podcast host, but because I usually can't get through a sentence without sniffling. And during allergy season, forget about it. My seasonal allergies are debilitating, and my sinus congestion and pressure has always left me feeling so sick. But luckily, for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so you can breathe better. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available relieves sneezing, a runny nose, itchy and watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. Claritin D has truly transformed my life. Not only can I breathe better and sleep better since taking Claritin D, but I also can get through the day so much smoother. I used to have to cancel plans because of how bad my allergies were. I'd go through a tissue box a week, sometimes more, and my eyes were always watery. But Claritin D's fast symptom relief starts working on allergies with nasal congestion in as little as 30 minutes, and it tackles nasal congestion caused by allergies or a cold and also relieves sinus congestion and pressure due to allergies. It's truly the greatest thing I've ever come across and I am so grateful that I found it and started using it. Are you ready to live life as if you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. You guys are in for a treat because support for today's episode comes from the best of the best, Jenny Kane. And yes, there is a discount, so keep on listening. You know that feeling when you get a new sweater and it instantly becomes basically another layer of your skin? Like you wear it everywhere for everything all the time. Okay, well, Jenny Kane has become my literal uniform. And if you don't know Jenny Kane, I'm pretty much about to change your life because Jenny Kane's clothes did that to mine. Jenny Kane is a California brand with luxurious staples that will transform your closet. Think minimalist and effortless, but totally refined. 
They have the coziest cashmere sweaters and iconic accessories that will elevate your everyday basics. I don't know if I wear my cashmere fisherman hoodie or my cropped cashmere cocoon cardigan more. All I know is that I cannot live without either of them. Whether it's a cozy night in with the girls, a dinner date with Jake, or catching a flight to Florida to see my parents, these sweaters are perfect for every single occasion. And I couldn't be happier when I'm wearing them because I'm so comfy. And you guys know me. I always choose comfort over how something looks. But with Jenny Kane, I don't have to choose because I get comfort and I get style. All right. So we have the discount code coming for you. Find your new uniform at JennyKane.com. Seeing other people listeners get 15% off their first order when you use code SOP at checkout. That's 15% off your first order at J-E-N-N-I-K-A-Y-N-E.com. Promo code SOP, S-O-P. Let getting dressed be one less thing to worry about. It's human. Measuring your self-worth by how sexually attractive you are. I mean, it is it is a natural thing to do, um, especially at a certain age. But then at another certain age, the one that is called a certain age, you find that that is no longer, it's no longer possible to be number one in that arena anyway. And uh, so you better find other ways to excel and and measure that, measure how much you measure your self-worth, because there comes a point when, yeah, you're no longer going to be the queen or king of that game. That's hilarious. It's, I mean, it's also <laughs> like attractiveness or sexual attractiveness. It's, it's in the eye of the beholder. And yeah. even, you know, a lot of people, I, myself, like struggle with feeling confident and feeling like I'm good enough as I am. But at the same time, hopefully we can find people who remind us like, no, you are like, you're beautiful. And yeah, of course, we're all going to change like looks fade. We've learned that yeah. forever. And that's <laughs> true. But that's part of the reason why like it does matter so much accepting yourself for who you actually are and what's underneath and knowing like the values that you have and your personality and loving yourself for all of those things. But that can be really, really difficult to get to. Yeah. And I would say like, while you're talking and I'm watching you and you come across as so confident and natural and, um, I don't know, grounded in who you are. And that is really sexy. And I think that that is, that is truly, the way to like, that's something that you can have all your life that doesn't have to fade and maybe can get stronger. And I I remember like there've been so many times when I have measured myself against somebody else in terms of like looks or like how they wear their clothes or anything like that. And then what it comes down to is like the ones who are truly powerful and I think powerfully attractive are the ones who are just so who they are. And that to me, that to me is the pinnacle of like confidence and attractiveness. Well, I appreciate the little ego boost, but it's so funny when my fiance and I first met, I remember like maybe six months in asking, okay, like, am I different from what you expected in any way? And I asked him that again, like a year in, and even now I'll bring it up. And his answer is always like, he thought I was really confident and then the more he got to know me, he realized <laughs> just how wrong that was. But it's so funny because there are some things I am confident about. Like I'm a co I'm confident in my ability to get on a podcast recording and do a good interview. I'm confident in my ability to like show up for my friends and be a good friend and support system when they need. I'm not confident in how I look. Half the time I have such like 
like, like a anxiety hangover after leaving a social situation of like, Oh my God, like, is that thing that I said embarrassing? Like, Mm -hmm. are they leaving and am I leaving and they're talking about me? Like there are all of these things (laughs) that I don't know if I'll ever be confident about, but at the end of the day, I'm like, okay, like I know who I am and I like me for me and I'm never going to be perfect. Like there's always going to be things I could be better at or ways I can be kinder to myself, but at least I know like what I'm not going to apologize for. Yes. I love that. And I too, I I get asked a lot about confidence, how to be more confident. I'm like, you are asking the wrong person because I am (laughs) confident in certain things and might present as confident, especially because nowadays we're all on podcasts and Zooms and presenting ourselves so much uh, on video. But my gosh, the little videos that I, some reels that I put on Instagram sometimes, um, if you look at my camera roll, they're like, 120 of the same frame over and over and over of retakes. And I'm like, oh gosh, I got to erase all those. Because I'm just not- I'm running out of iCloud storage when I have the highest (laughs) amount of iCloud storage. And I'm frustrated with Apple because I would love to give them more money for iCloud storage, but I'm at the max. Why do they max it out? I don't know. (laughs) Hilarious. And it's all because of retakes. Because it's like, oh, that one wasn't good. That one wasn't perfect. Or sometimes I'll stop in the middle of one and start thinking, and I'll be like, pause and like, crap, I ruined it. And um, so, yeah. There's and there's so many like you. I will, uh, you know, come away from a dinner or whatever it is, a group of people, and be ruminating. Like, oh my gosh, that thing that I said. Wait, was that really ru- like? Did they take that the wrong way? Are they now discussing it? Are they now? Is it now a meme? So, right. like, is it is it going in the group <laughs> chat? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think it's okay. I mean, it's no, it's a thousand percent okay. I just wish people were more open about the parts of themselves that they're not confident in. And and this to tie this back to dating a little, like so many people get really nervous and anxious about first dates. And that's okay. Like you're not you don't have to go into every date feeling so confident. But I think the way to almost make a connection with somebody is to go in that date and say, Oh, like I'm really nervous to be here. I get super nervous before first dates. And that just opens up this clean slate of like, okay, we can be vulnerable and we can get real and you're nervous and I'm nervous and we can bond over that and see where it goes instead of showing up to a date, being nervous, pretending that you're confident, like overthinking everything you're saying, them sitting on the other side of the table doing the exact same thing. And both of you feeling horrible when you could just bond over the fact that dating is nerve wracking. Totally. I I agree with that. Um, even though I haven't, I was going to say, I really haven't dated much thinking about it, like getting, preparing for this podcast. I realized <laughs> I have not gone on a lot of dates. I like all through my twenties, it was a lot of hookups that, and people dating people who would not, who, if you would ask them would probably not have agreed that we were dating. Um, <laughs> Yep. Times I mean, like, may change, but those situations don't. <laughs> no. I mean, I remember uh, one guy asking me out and I remember informing him like, 
you know, I'm really flattered, but I'm seeing this guy we both know. And then I named the guy and he just laughed and laughed. He was like, oh, good luck with that. Because this guy was just a known hoe. Um, And I thought we were seeing each other. Uh, And so, you know, he gave me an STD. That was about the extent of it. Um, So, yeah, I haven't had a lot of like sit down and meet someone like on a first date kind of situations. But I agree with that. Yeah. How were you meeting people when you were in your 20s in New York City? I was, I mean, I was going out to bars and I wasn't, okay, so right after college, I spent the whole first year and then after that, several years um, here and there, like going to bars like it was my job. And it wasn't to meet the one, it was just to be, because I mentioned before, I was not like, I didn't have a lot of boyfriends. I had no boyfriends in high school, like maybe one or two, but I felt like I hadn't gotten out of my system that phase of uh, being hot. And so after college, I felt like, okay, maybe I could look kind of cute. Maybe I can go out and be hot. And this is my time to shine. And so I was a bar hoe for, you know, a, for a good solid year there. And then I started getting actual jobs and didn't have as much time to be that way. But, um, yeah, I would go to, I would go to bars and go out dancing and meet people and kind of hook up with them and, or, um, hang out at certain restaurants late night after hours and would end up like thinking I was dating the manager when, of, as usual, you know, he was just being a hoe. Um, you were actually just showing up to his place of work and he couldn't leave. Yes. So exactly. he was forced to spend time with you and then you would come Ex- back. Right. <laughs> exactly. He was a hostage. Um, so in his own place of work. <laughs> yeah, in his own place of work. So that's pretty much what I did for until my mid twenties. And then I had an act when I was 26 started truly dating someone who became quickly became an actual boyfriend who I would, how'd you you meet him through work? Um, a, a colleague set us up or had like mentioned him a couple of times, suggested that maybe we meet and there wasn't a, there was not an official, um, setup. This guy I had like spied in my neighborhood. I knew he lived in my neighborhood. I was really excited about the idea of him And so when he came into work one day to visit my, it was actually my boss, um, who he was friends with when he came into work one day, uh, I spotted him. I knew who he was and I went right up to him and introduced myself and probably our mutual friend, my boss had planted the seed in his head too. And so he came over to my desk and started flirting and talking with me. And then I think you know, we exchanged numbers and he asked me out. So that was the first time, like really the first time I feel like I went on an official date with somebody that who was a prospect. I, the reason I'm asking is because I think the number one question that I've been getting asked lately is how to meet people not on dating apps. So yeah. I love hearing those stories and, and kind of just reminding people dating apps didn't always exist. There are other ways to meet people. In fact, that's the only way people met people prior to dating apps is by other ways. (laughs) Yeah. And thank God for me. And because I'm such an obsessive, addictive kind of person, especially with social media, that if I had been on dating apps, it would have taken up all my focus and energy. And I would have been swiping all day and looking at my messages and 
uh, it's just a whole, I mean, as it was, I was waiting by the phone and checking my, checking my answering machine. So this sure goes way back, but, and I was doing that so obsessively that thank God for me that there were no dating apps. I do wish, I mean, I ended up meeting Jake on a dating app, so I'm glad that they're around, yeah. but mm-hmm. I do wish that, you know, we could maybe like choose. And of course you can choose to not download a dating app, but then you feel like, well, am I really trying if I'm not on them? Like I do wish there was a way to just like turn them off for six months completely for everybody. So people would be forced to interact with others in real life again and not be staring at their phone when they go out and actually look up and see who's around them and start conversations. Because I think we miss out on so many amazing opportunities to meet people, maybe a potential partner, but just also like connect as humans from one person to the next. Yeah, I think you you kind of can't beat that. Like the chemistry that you can sense right away with somebody um, yeah. when you meet them in person, whether it would be great if there were like just a worldwide blackout of all the dating apps yeah. for six months. I think that would be awesome. And, and of social media. I think that would be kind of awesome. How did you and Stephen meet? So... Stephen and I met um, during a time when we were both in relationships, uh, variously messed up relationships, um, mine more than his. I was dating, I was in like the third year of seeing a married salsa instructor who was my salsa instructor. I was obsessed with salsa and then started dating the instructor and he acted like he wasn't really married, but it was pretty clear if I had had my eyes open that he very much was. And so um, I was in the depths of that misery of still crying like he says he's going to leave her, but why hasn't he? And he said there would be a ring on my finger, absolutely cautionary tale um, that we all know better then, but some of us still get into them. And Stephen was in just a relationship with someone much younger, which was his style anyway. And um, it it was just in a stage of like, we should break up. And we met at a birthday party that took place at a bar. Um, The birthday party was for somebody that who I had known and, you know, maybe hooked up with a little bit that year after college that I mentioned Mm -hmm. when I was going out every night, like it was my job. And my parents were like, what are you doing out till 4am or later? And I would say I'm networking. And so (laughs) it turned out that that was not untrue because, you know, 10 years later um, at the birthday party of one of these people, a bar owner who now owned a restaurant, I met Steven. It was um, right before 9-11 and so the this birthday party started at a at a bar of the um, of the restaurant group he was about to work for Stephen was, and then we went on a boat that sailed around the New York Harbor. And I remember I was sitting next to him on this boat and having I had gone to this party because normally it was it was a dance night and I never skipped dance, but I had this feeling I was like. I'm so miserable right now and I have to go meet new people. I just have to go to this party and be around people who get me, maybe people who see movies that aren't shark movies or um, <laughs> or horror movies, which was all my boyfriend wanted to see or talk about. And 
Uh, so I remember sitting with Stephen next to him on this boat and first of all, looking up at the New York skyline and we were looking at the, at the twin towers and saying, wow, those are like, the skyline is actually really beautiful. And we were talking about New York and we were talking about boogie nights, which was just out and, or had been out like a year or so before. And we agreed it was the best movie ever. And I was like, this is the kind of guy I should be with. If only he were straight, because just everything oh about him, <laughs> everything about him made me think he was gay. And especially that he was so easy to talk to and get along with. I was like, it just didn't even occur to me that he was straight. And the next time I saw Wait, him. You, you fully assumed he was gay. Fully. fully. That is so funny. He was wearing like these cool jeans. He said something about my outfit, but not in a, but yeah, in a fashion kind of appreciating way. And it was just the way he talked and how easy he was to talk to that made me just never think for a second that he was straight. That is hilarious. <laughs> I just felt so naturally myself with him. It's well, like, well, that's also probably why you could that probably contributed to you thinking that because it was so easy. Yes. So you also weren't putting pressure on yourself to impress him. Exactly. Not for a second. Um, and because I was still in a relationship, like obsessively in a relationship. So I wasn't really looking for anyone. I wasn't trying to impress anyone. Um, and, you know, all the common wisdom is uh, goes against this. Is all like every bit of dating advice you'll read or hear is like, don't, you know, you're not going to find your next relationship while you're in a relation, while you're in a bad relationship. You have to create space. You have to be okay being on your own um, in order to find the right person. And you have to be in a place where you are really alive and loving yourself and confident. Meanwhile, I was in the lowest, most miserable, degrading place, uh, like spying on, like uh, spying on my boyfriend, looking at checking his emails to see if he was cheating on me. And he was, um, and just, like probably not in my best state of self-esteem. We have so much in common. It's crazy. <laughs> <Can you? laughs> awesome. I love it. I got to hear your story too then. Um, but so anyway, so it, it went great with Steven. And then the next time I saw him was on 9-11. My sister and I had been like up at my parents' house, our parents' house all day watching the footage. And um, it was such a like harrowing day. And we had we felt like we got to get out of the house and go, we just need to be around people and our parents didn't count so um i called my friend who owned the same bar who who had had the birthday and he said you know so great of you to call you know you called everyone you knew that day to see how they were make sure they were okay and he was like thanks for call for checking we uh closed the restaurant we're down here um just with like friends and family we've got food come on down and so my sister and i went down there and sitting right there in the first to, at the first table was Steven and um, who I remembered very well. And he was like, Hey, this is my girlfriend. And instead of it being like, Oh no, he has a girlfriend. I was like, girlfriend, yeah. Wait, Whoa. not gay, not boyfriend. <laughs> exactly. Not boyfriend. And um, then I started going into, he was about to open this restaurant, which was delayed by a couple of months. Cause it was right near ground zero 
And uh, once they opened, even before they opened, I started stopping by. It was on my walk. I would walk downtown um, on the in the Hudson River Park. And this restaurant was in Tribeca. So on my walks, I would stop in while they were building it and in sawdust stage. And he would be there and we'd flirt. He'd come outside, he'd flirt, we'd talk. And then when they opened, I started going in a lot. And he- Again, showing up to their place of work. <laughs> exactly. Show, my old well, MO. My, hard. <laughs> my yeah. old MO. I was like, I started going there like it was my job. And um, so one day when I went there, his friend, the the friend he was working for, who owned the place, who had opened the place, was at the podium, and I showed up for dinner for reservation. And he said, "Oh, hello, Laura Belgray." And then he looked at the computer, who Stephen loves, no, really loves, like wants to go on a trip with, maybe to London or Paris. And he started reading something to me. I was like, "What are you talking about? What are you saying? What are you What are you reading from?" And he's like, "It's from Open Table. It's Stephen's notes on you." Oh my God. Yeah. (laughs) So, oh my God. Even and I started like trading emails. We were both still with people. Um, But one day when I was there, like close to Christmas time, he said, I'm going to see my mom for Christmas. But when I'm back, would you want to do something sometime? And uh, I said, yes. And so we started having friend dates. Um, and it took us a while to like get around to that talk of I'm seeing someone. Oh yeah. I'm also seeing someone. Yeah, me too. But so let's just keep having friend dates. We're friends and nothing wrong. No, nothing wrong. Maybe we agree that if we were single, we might like to be together, but, and then we both finally, you know, jettisoned those relationships that were bad for both of us and for the other person and, um, and became a thing. The rest is history. The rest is history. Wow. I love that story so much. I, I'm like, my face hurts from smiling literally. And I love that you said like, yeah, so much advice out there says like, Oh, you can never meet somebody when you're at your lowest or when you're in a bad relationship or if you don't love yourself, like that's one of the things I love to talk about on seeing other people is like, there's so, you can't listen to everything that everybody says, because if you say say like, Oh, this thing's a red flag, or you can't be loved in this state. Like if you believe that, then you're going to miss out on so much that is meant for you or that could possibly happen. And I just think that like, there's no one specific rule book or rule book or guidebook to dating. Like you never know what's going to happen. You never know where you're going to be or, who you're going to be with when something happens. And I love hearing stories like yours because that just like really supports that concept of anything can happen. It's so true. And one thing I would say that does remain true, you know, that everyone says and is true is that if you are clingy and needy with a person who doesn't like that, then it is not going to work. And so- being clingy and needy with somebody else while I was starting to get into a relationship in like so developing at least a friendship with Steven was a very useful tool for not being needy and clingy with him. With, so, yeah, um, it, it is. And, and one, one other thing that remains true that you will hear from people. And I would 
I would heed this, is that you just cannot talk someone into, convince someone to be into you. It is not going to work. <laughs> I could stand here all day applauding that statement. Yeah. And and it, again, with like the needs, like we're, we all have needs. We're always going to have needs and be needy. And somebody who likes you is going to be able to show up for those and hear those out and respond to them in a way that's helpful. And that makes you feel seen and heard versus somebody who can't give you those things. It doesn't matter like how little your need is or how big your need is. Like if they aren't into you, if they don't genuinely want to make an effort to be with you and to build that future with you, they're not going to show up for you and show up for those needs in the way that you need. And that's going to make you feel more needy. Right. I totally agree. And unfortunately, being not needy or being like, uh, being independent, maybe hard to get is not something you can fake. It's just impossible to fake that and pretend. So you have to find, you have to be, um, involved in your own life enough for, you know, to, in order to have that effect and have it be real. Absolutely. Well, in effort to not be repetitive, I'm curious what else is going to come out of you. when I ask you my final question, my favorite question Mm -hmm. to ask, um, but we may have already just said it. What is the best piece of dating or relationship advice you've ever received or have to give? I actually don't think I've covered this. I would say Ooh, that, right. yeah. So when I, both when I was in this terrible relationship with the married person and when I was with Steven, a friend gave me the same advice both times. And it was for something to change, you have to make the change. That person is not going to change anything. They're used to the way things are and they're not going to change anything unless you make the change. And so like with the married guy, um, I didn't really change anything until, <laughs> until I broke up with him for good. And that was a good move on my part. And then, in fact, he did come back begging me, like, oh, I'm going to leave her. You know, who knows what would have happened. I'm still going to leave my wife. <laughs> I'm still going to leave her. Uh, you know, and I was always begging for him, begging him to, like, take me on a trip on one of his dance trips. And he was always like, no, that's something I do with my, you know, wife. <laughs> and then this time he was like, I just bought it. You know, I'm going to Israel. I bought you a ticket. Um, oh, come back God. to me. And I was like, oh, of course. Now you do that. But then with Stephen too, when things were tough and he wasn't as ready as I was, um, I had to initiate a break. I had to say, maybe we need some time apart. And that was really hard for me. Really, really hard to let go. And that is what did the trick. He was so thankful that I pushed him in that way. And that was the only way anything was going to change. Yeah, I love that. I like, I'm so sad that this is over because I feel like we could talk forever, but <laughs> this was amazing. Laura Belgray, thank you so much for being here. Where can everybody find you now that everybody else is just as obsessed with you as I am? I love you. Thank you. Okay. So my, my digital home is talkingshrimp.com. That's the name of my company, Talking Shrimp, spelled just like it sounds. And uh, you can find my book, Tough Titties, there or at toughtittiesbook.com. And uh, highly recommend it. A lot of dating stories. A lot. It will give you hope, especially if you're a late bloomer like me. And then on Instagram, I am at Laura Belgray. 
Amazing. And I will have that, all of that linked in the show notes. Thank you again so much for being here. For everyone who tuned in, go follow Laura, go get the book. Trust me on this one. And please, please, please send this episode to a friend who would love to hear it. Send it to the group chat, share it on your story, tag both of us, and I will talk to you guys next time. Thanks for listening, daters. I hope today's episode made you feel just a little bit less alone out there, no matter what your status might be. Give your finger a break from swiping and hit that follow and review button instead. And if you have any burning questions or want to share your own dating horror stories, reach out to seeingotherpeoplepodcast at gmail.com. And in the meantime, keep on seeing other people. Mads, I am obsessed with our brand pillars. You mean vagina sweat, good branding, and being Jewish blooded queens, Scout? Uh, sure, but not quite. I love that OKSIS podcast and our sisterhood is made up of women who are down for main character energy only, who take care of their mental health, and who are standing in their personal power as entrepreneurs. Oh, yeah. That too, Scout. That too. We should probably introduce ourselves. Hello, everyone. I am Mads. And I am Scout. And we are sisters IRL. Join us on OKSIS Podcast every Monday for some sisterly banter, nourishing mental health, a whole lot of silliness, and inspiring interviews from the raddest female guests in the game. We promise it'll be a good time. As long as you don't get too loud, Mads. Welcome to the sisterhood!